I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Because you have been so kindly listening to or watching Slow Mo, I have had the opportunity over the last three years to at least once a week meet an incredible, incredible human being with a set of values or thoughts or experiences that taught me something and hopefully gave you the opportunity to slow down and reflect on something that you normally don't give the time to. Of those, some that came early in our work with Slow Mo were conversations that didn't get as many viewers or downloads as they deserve because basically some people joined later. They were very, very successful at the time they came out, but now that Slow Mo exploded into the numbers of listeners and viewers that we have today, some of the new joiners may have not seen them. So... Munir, myself, and Vlade, the tiny team that actually gives you slow-mo, have come together and decided maybe we should sprinkle three or four of those conversations into December and January as a form of rewind, if you want, so that you get a chance to enjoy them. This is also our way of slowing down a little bit further looking back into something that was wonderful instead of constantly aiming for the new. I hope you will enjoy every one of those and I hope at the same time you will give yourself the opportunity to reflect back on all of the other conversations that we have enjoyed together in the last three years and perhaps look back at some of them and enjoy those too. I'm almost certain you will enjoy those. They were not only some of my favorite conversations on slow-mo, but some of my favorite conversations, period. Today, as part of the slow-mo rewind series, I'd like to bring to you one of my top teachers. Dr. Jill Balti-Taylor is a Harvard-educated and trained neuroscientist who became incredibly influential because of her experience when hemorrhage in her left brain gave her an experience of how it is actually like to live in your right brain only. And she documented this in a memoir, an incredible book and a TED talk. The book was my stroke of insight. And, uh, and my stroke of insight in many, many ways coming from a neuroscientist who is no longer observing what's happening in a lab, but actually experiencing that division between our brain hemispheres herself, was truly, truly an influential work that's really, really affected so many of us in the way we look at the brain. Her TED talk, the last I checked, was viewed more than 27 million times, still very, very successful today. And a stroke of insight itself spent more than 63 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. When we met back in May 2021 here on Slow Mo, Jill had just uh, released her second book, A Whole Brain Living, and we had an incredible conversation, incredible about how we think of the brain as two hemispheres, but really the brain is four 
personalities, if you want, for characters that many of us don't live fully. And, you know, when she explained the 92nd rule, which I leave you to find out about, it completely changed my perception of things like stress, anger, and anxiety, and all of those other emotions that we sometimes believe are not easy to control. Jill, back in 2008, when my stroke of insight was at the height of its popularity, was chosen one of the most influential 100 women of the year. Still today, she is one of the most influential teachers that affect my work. When we spoke, she was so generous with her information, so generous with her friendship, with her kindness and generosity, with her attempt to make people understand neuroscience in a way that is actionable so that we can find a path to a happier and more productive life. I hope you will enjoy this conversation. It was one of the highlights of my happiness career to meet one of my top teachers and get close and become friends. Jill Barty Taylor. I want so much to talk about your original TED Talk, but I'm sure you spoke about it a million times, okay? So before we start, I will say to anyone listening to us, if you haven't heard Jill's TED Talk, original TED Talk, maybe 13, 14 years ago. Yes, 08. Yeah, it's called A Stroke of Insight. It changed my life, and we will touch on a few elements of it, but you cannot be a full human being without listening to it, so pause the podcast and go listen to it. All right, that's the first thing. <laughs> I love it. I also, I'm super curious about your next book. Yes. Right? Yes. And so I don't know how much you're, you're willing to share with us about the new book. I heard a few yes, parts. all of it. There you go, there you go. So this is great. I heard a few parts. It's called Whole Brain Living, and it's actually really sounds like music to my ears. So what is a Whole Brain Living to start? If you just give us an overview. So, you know, we've heard the myth that we only use 10% of our brain, and that's simply not true. Neurons are living, thriving creatures, and they're like humans. They're social. They want to be in a social network where their meaning is to be stimulated by others and to stimulate others. So if you have a neuron and it's connected inside of your brain, you're using it. So I say if it's alive and it's in your head, you're using it. So that's first of all. Second thing that we have been trained to believe is that the right brain is our emotional brain and our left brain is our rational thinking brain. And that's simply not true. Both hemispheres have equally divided emotional systems. Oh. So we have two emotional systems and we have two thinking modules of cells, one in each hemisphere. So as evolution happens over the course of time for the mammalian brain, we have species and all the, and it has tissue and all the tissue works out the kinks with the tissue below it. And then new tissue gets added on top. And then we spend eons of time working the kinks out of that tissue. So for the human and for other mammals, we all have the emotional cells of our limbic tissue in each hemisphere, but human has this added on thinking tissue. So whole brain living for me is these four modules of cells. 
And Mo, it's not just that there's a group of cells, but groups of cells are different from one another. They specialize in different things. They result in different skill sets. And ultimately, those skill sets are going to manifest as some kind of a personality, some kind of a character. So to me, whole brain living is getting to know each of those four modules of cells, those four characters that we all share at an anatomical level. And boy, when we understand who's who inside of our own head and we're starting, we, we're listening to the conversations now because we understand the values of each of those four characters, our internal world makes so much more sense. And then we have the power to actually choose which of those four we want to jump into at any moment. And to me, that's pure personal power. So it's not emotional and rational. It's emotional and rational, both sides. One is left, one is right. Left is much more linguistic and yeah. It's emotional thinking. The only one that's rational is the left. Okay. But it's not just the thinking tissue in the left brain is our rational Ah. mind that we use to interact with the external world. The thinking tissue in the right hemisphere doesn't even know what an eye is. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. So the core of why I absolutely believe that you you brightened my life was when you described the difference between the left being the linear, the linguist, the problem solver, if you want, the time bound looking back and, and forward and so on, and that right brain. The moment, I don't know if you remember that from your TED Talk, when you said, <laughs> I found... Yes, I do. <laughs> I found nirvana. Remember when you said that? When you were describing your experience with a left brain stroke, living in your right brain, and you said, I found Nirvana, I cried every time, every single time. Even today, when I was preparing for the talk, I cried again. Because this to me, truly, in a very interesting way, matches the description of Nirvana. To be able to live on that right-hand side of the brain, where you're completely in the present moment, you're able to sense and feel, and there is no sense of I, there is a sense of we. Now, with your new work, you're saying there are more than two. There are four of them. Okay, so after I gave that TED Talk, I, had, I ended the TED Talk saying we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be. We can step into the consciousness of the present moment where I am right here, right now in that right hemisphere, or I can step into the consciousness of my left brain, which has a past and a future. So I had over 300,000 people write me emails and say, well, for you to do that, you had a stroke. It wiped out your left hemisphere and you found Nirvana. But how do I, without having a stroke, how do I get there? Yes. And I didn't have an answer to that because I could tell you what it was like and what it felt like and that it was there, but I didn't have a roadmap for you to go from left to right. Now I had, because in order for me to recover, I had to use my right hemisphere in order to recover my left hemisphere. So I managed to go from right to left, but how do I tell someone in the left to go to the right? And then I was giving a presentation for a conference and I said to this audience, and this was like in 2016, 2017, and I said to them, you know, I love presenting about the brain in this day and age because people love to talk about the brain. They know the different parts of the brain. They know about the amygdala and the hippocampi. But the fact of the matter is we have two amygdala and the whole room just went, (gasps) 
like, oh my God, really? There's two of them? And I realized Isn't in that moment, <laughs> Is it Isn't one enough? <laughs> exactly. exactly. I can blame everything on my one amygdala. You know, I'm an alarm, alarm, <laughs> alert, alert. Oh, it's my amygdala. Don't worry about it. You know, it'll pass. But no, we have two of them. And in that instant, I understood people did not understand that our emotional limbic system is evenly divided between the two hemispheres. So we have amygdala and hippocampus and anterior and cingulate gyrus in the left hemisphere. And it's related to the past and the future. And we have emotional amygdala and hippocampus and anterior cingulate gyrus of the present moment. So we have these two very separate, unique, interestingly similar, but different emotional systems. And then we have two thinking modules of cells, one in the left hemisphere related to the past and the future and the present moment in the right brain thinking tissue. So I'm going to take you through these four characters. Okay. And I encourage people to name them because these are identities. These are parts of your identity and they know it. And they want a name and they want to be heard because they're always fighting for the microphone inside your own head. So give them a name. Be kind to them. Like Jackie? Well, we, yeah. it depends on whatever works for you. <laughs> All right. You know, maybe Jackie for hijack if it's, you know, your character too. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, whatever works for you. So character number one is the left thinking tissue. This is our rational brain. This is our now. As you look at that tissue, if you just look at the tissue and what does the tissue do, there is a group of cells in the parietal, left parietal brain that defines the boundaries of where we begin and where we end. If you wipe out that tissue, you don't know where you begin and where you end. So I know that my face is my face. And I know that these glasses that I wear on my face pretty much all day are not a part of me organically, because there's a group of cells creating a holographic image of where I begin and where I end. So all of a sudden now I become an individual. I become an individual mass separate from the atoms and molecules around me. Without those cells, I have zero perception that I'm separate from the atoms and molecules around me. Now that's profound. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And that actually is one of the reasons for most of the challenges we have in our world today. Exactly. I end somewhere and everybody else is different than I am. Everything else, every exactly. other being on the planet is different. It's not part of that skin container. And so I don't care about it. Exactly. So here I have the boundaries of where I begin and end. So now I'm individual and I have language cells that allow me to create sound and allow me to place meaning on abstract sounds. Dog is a sound, but we can place a meaning on that sound, dog. So now I have language. So now I'm communicating with the external world, but I'm an individual. So all everything I'm filtering, I'm filtering down through the filter of me. How does it relate to me? And this part of our brain likes to organize and control everything. So it feels safe. Well, 
we'll get to safety, but it likes to control people, places, and things. It likes you to put the stapler back where the stapler belongs because that stapler <laughs> has a place, by golly. Why didn't you put the stapler back? And it's that character one that cares about order in the external world. And it will define morally what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And so now it's defining the box, not just of what am I as an individual, but what box am I going to live inside of? And what behaviors are outside of my acceptable box? Powerful, powerful part of who we are. It's our A-type personality. It's our rational brain. Most of us can relate to that. I call mine Helen, short for hell on wheels. She gets it done. <laughs> okay. She holds my body a certain way. She wears glasses. She puts in earrings. She combs my hair. She puts on a presentable shirt. She has a certain intonation of her voice. I put on lipstick. I'm prepared. I'm punctual. I'm organizing time. So my character one got here today to talk to you. Mm. Yeah. Without her, you wouldn't be able to get it all together and get it done and speak to me rationally. Exactly. I'd have been late or if I'd have remembered. Because I'd have to look at the calendar. Did I look at the calendar today? It's my character one that's going to look at the calendar. So interesting. And so character one, would it be safe? I don't know the other characters yet. So would it be safe to say that character one is the one that goes to work, is the one that's saving a lot of the training. So accordingly, it's becoming one of the most dominant characters of who we are because we're constantly training it all the time. We're only always in doing we're always in the doing, always in the discipline, always in the correction, always in the criticism, and, and it's individual. Exactly. I love that. Correction and criticism. Absolutely. And it's the boss. I mean, it's the boss. Is it? Is it the boss naturally for every one of us? or? Um, no, but in our world, it has a hierarchy. It values materialism. So it is motivated to do all those things you just said, get a training, correct itself, get better at what it's doing, get up a little early, give it an advantage. That's how it thinks in order to grab the day by the you know brain, not by just the tail. <laughs> I mean, it's busy. It's got a to-do list, but it is uh, it measures its value on how much money it earns, how big its house is, how many toys it has, how it compares to you because you're different. It thinks on the hierarchy. So where am I on that hierarchy? I'm trying to get to the next rung, trying to get to the next rung. I like that personal correction in order to do more, get better. So it's the do, 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 busy to-do list person who's, um, you know, it's going to make a decision based on, well, what's in this for me? And how is it going to serve me? Is it fair, Jill, to say, I don't like this guy? I really don't. I mean, it's this fair. guy is really, yeah, it's, I think it's the biggest part of me, to be very honest, for years and years being trained as an engineer, you know. Mm -hmm, yes. Engineering, thinking, how things yeah. all fit together. Da, 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 da. Yes. Years and years of meditation, years of happiness practice. I came a very, very long way, but this guy is still there. I'm like, why are you What's still here? What's his name? I don't know. I, I, I'm going to call him something horrible, you know, Brian or something. But, you know, it really is. I don't mean anything, by the way, to Brian's yes. listening to me. Yes. <laughs> we love you, Brian. <laughs> we love you, Brian. It's just it's just comparing Brian to brain. Haha, <laughs> blank on word here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I heard your first talk, I'm, I'm sorry, I keep going back to it. It's a pivotal moment in my life. That was the one part of my brain that I was trying to say, shut up. Let the other characters show up. 
because they're all part of me actually That's right. when i do those hr surveys and you know the tests and so on i'm quite in every part of them in a very emotional brain I, my eq is quite reasonable and so on and so forth but this guy is the boss yes this guy he's is just loud. annoying well yeah. think about loud. that mo he <laughs> yes. he has language ah. he has language so he's the one who's using his language loudly and he's very domineering he needs to be right this is the part of us that we will fight and we will argue because we need to be right. And other characters just like give up. It's like, you know, why would I compete with that? Right. Yeah. Because it's so extreme. And in our society, uh, highly sadly, it is extremely extreme. And so we have this skewed to the left hemisphere dominance throughout the world at this point. Well, some cultures are actually more right dominant, but we can talk about that later. But we're skewed to the value structure of the left. Let me go to character two, because character two, that one is also, and I'm gonna start by saying, all of these characters are absolutely valuable because they serve us in a certain way. But when anybody gets the ultimate goal is balance. Whole brain living is about balancing the interaction and the voices of each of these characters so that we completely serve ourselves and as a single mass in communication, which I call our brain team. And then the brain team has what we call a brain huddle. And that's a conversation, an ongoing called by choice conversation between our different characters. So character two is the emotion of the past. Now, as we think about us as human beings, we have two very different hemispheres that function in very different timely manners. The universe is spinning as a present moment. It's a present moment. There's always a present moment. Cut out my left brain and all I have is a present moment. The world spins, the trees grow, the fish jump. Life just happens in a present moment. The right hemisphere, the right emotional system just carry on in the present moment. And then the right thinking carries on in the present moment. So that will be character two for the right emotion or character three for the right emotion and character four for the right thinking. It's just right here, right now, without the identification of self or the definition of right, wrong, good, bad, that I as a human brain apply to control and create order in my world. Character two is this amazing group of tissue that is all of our pain from the past. Because this group of cells, the emotional tissue of our left hemisphere, brings information in about the present moment, and it was willing to step out of the consciousness of the present moment and look at the present moment information and say, based on my experience in my past, is there any reason for me to push away, say, alarm, alarm, alert, alert, that doesn't feel safe, I don't like it, I don't want it, I don't want anything to do with it. So this is our alarm, alarm, alert, alert, that whatever I'm experiencing is going to trigger a memory of anything I've experienced in the past, and it thrives on what is familiar. So this is the part of our brain that likes familiar. It likes people who behave like it behaves of its cultural norm. It likes the cultural norm the societal norm. This is the portion that if you look different from me, I don't like you, my jerk away. This is my racism. This is my bigotry. 
Yeah, I know. It's serious. It's heavy, heavy stuff because it's saying you're not familiar. I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe in the presence of your little character two emotion of the left hemisphere. That's profound. If you don't look like me, if you don't sound like me, if you don't eat what I eat, if you don't pray the way I pray, if you don't whatever, a million list, this is what the part of me that says you're different from me, you scare me, you're dangerous, and I'm going to push away. So this is what we used to term in the past when we spoke about the amygdala triggering all of that fear and stress and so on. This is really the amygdala on the left side of the brain. So it's the tissue that really is constantly comparing your current view of life to what you want your life to be. And if it's not familiar, it's dangerous, too dangerous to even consider. Let's just sound the alarms. Alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I'm not safe. So I'm going to run from you. I'm going to play dead. I'm going to, I'm going to flee. I'm going to fight. You're different from me. And that would apply to everything else. So if, if I'm in a situation, everything. in a situation where my colleague at work is, uh, I understand they're making a dollar more than I am, then that's a reason for fear. Uh, you know, if my, you know, the person I'm trying to date doesn't answer my phone, then that's a reason for fear. This is constantly comparing and trying to find what's wrong with life. Exactly. Constantly. We're going to call that chicken little, right? Well, now we have to be kind to it because it was brave enough. Uh It was brave enough to step out of the blissful euphoria of the present moment so that you have this protection. Mm. It's a superhero. Now, does it know how to do it gracefully? Zero. There is zero (laughs) grace in that alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe, right? It's going to get loud. It's going to get angry. It's going to get ugly. It's going to hide. It's going to flee. It's going to go on the attack. It's going to do all these horrible things because it's terrified. It's terrified. It could be, look where I live. I live in nature. You put me in the city. Oh my gosh. Alarm, alarm, alert, alert. I don't feel safe there. And you take a big city slicker and you stick them in the country and you stick them out in euphoria where I find euphoria. And they're terrified. There are snakes here. There are turtles here. There's there's the unknown underneath the water. Who knows what's in the woods? I mean, whatever it is. But this is a very real part of ourselves. And this little character too, I call mine Abby. And Abby is short for abandoned. Now, I want you to think about this. When I was in the womb, when I was first conceived, take the DNA from mom and the DNA from dad, put it together in a single cell. And that single cell is called the zygote cell. I call it the mighty zygote because it has the molecular genius that is going to metamorphosize itself into the human body that I am today. So the mighty zygote begins as a single cell in this magnificent fluid environment, and it's completely at the whim of the consciousness of the universe and the consciousness of my mother's body, and it's a fluid environment, and it's dark in there, and it's muted for sounds in there, and that little zygote cell has the ability to duplicate its DNA and then repackage its uh, the DNA, duplicate the DNA, repackage the DNA at a rate of up to 250,000 new cells per second. 
250,000 cells per second, not per minute. So here's a consciousness of this entity. And the energy is the energy shared as the consciousness of the universe. There's no differentiation. You know, there's differentiation at a genetic cellular level, but energetically, this thing is multiplying and multiplying and multiplying until there's some 50 trillion beautiful molecular geniuses making up our body. That's a lot of molecular geniuses. So here I am, I'm in the womb. I've gone from a single cell to gosh knows how many trillion of cells as an infant baby or as a, a fetus. And then I get born into the world. In that moment, to me, that is abandonment because all of a sudden the world that I have known, I'm in a liquid environment. My lungs are filled with liquid. I'm symbiotic in relationship to this beautiful heartbeat of my mother's heart. And bam, all of a sudden I'm out in air. <gasps> what do I do? <gasps> all of a sudden I, my diaphragmatic muscle contracts and sucks air into my lungs. <gasps> I scream, ah, why wouldn't I? Because, oh my gosh, uh, lights are now bright, sounds are now no longer muted, and people are poking and prodding me, and the temperature of the air is different than whatever was going on in that beautiful womb. And to me, that is the birth of Abby. That is our original abandonment. And everything else builds on top of that, oh my gosh, traumatic experience, just being born was a traumatic experience. And so now anything that remotely takes me back to that trauma, I'm going to say, no, I don't want it. No. Mm. All right. But that consciousness, those cells are precious because they're no longer stepping in the present moment. They're bringing it in. They've stepped out of euphoria so that they can save our life. And, you know, talk about the biggest martyr on the planet. It's our little character too, because it sacrificed its own peaceful euphoria so that we could find in the past, based on our past experience, any threat. Is it not exaggerating a little? I mean, Think about it. We're living. No, it's alarm, 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 alarm. Yeah, we're we're living a life that's not really that threatening anymore. I mean, yes, absolutely correct, absolutely correct. But it doesn't know that, you know, it doesn't know that. I mean, it, we're talking eons of evolution of the mammalian nervous system in order to figure out how do we stay alive? How do we become flexible and resilient? How do we protect ourselves from an immediate threat? Because if we don't protect ourselves from an immediate threat, then if I see a bus coming and I don't jump out of the way of it because I realize that if that bus hits me, then I'm going to die, then there still is a lot of danger. Now, is it over-exaggerated based on our society and the evolution of us? Absolutely. But you can't tell it that. It never matures. This is a group of cells that is established by birth because emotionally it's that fight or flight. We have to have that when we're born. I have a need. Um, I'm hungry. I have pain in my belly. I scream. Somebody comes. Somebody feeds me. Oh, that was nice. It doesn't happen. The pain gets stronger. The pain gets stronger. I make a mess. I feel uncomfortable. I'm not being tended to. My needs are not being met. I scream. I mean, it is designed for us to, yeah, it's over-exaggerated. At the same time, regardless of that, it is what it is. It is what it is. Are you going to tell us about the relationship between the different characters? I mean, does Abby talk to... Who was the first one? Um, Helen. Helen. Does Abby talk to Helen? 
Well, they're all in there. And ultimately, the ultimate goal will be the brain huddle, where all four get called into the huddle, and we're going to have a communication among all four of us. Nice. So that's character two. Well, what do you call your little unhappy self, Mo? Give him a name. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call him Jonathan, but I'm not going to say why. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. As long as you know why, that's all that matters. Because then yes. you'll remember. It needs to be unique to you. Okay, mm -hmm. character number three. Now, character number three and four, they're in the right brain. They're right here right now. However, they are tethered to characters one and two through 300 million axonal fibers through the corpus callosum so that one hemisphere knows what's going on in the other and vice versa. And 70%, at least of those fibers are inhibitory, which means one hemisphere is inhibiting a comparable group of cells in the opposite hemisphere. So at any point in time, there's a lot of circuits going on in both hemispheres, but they are each dominating one another at specific circuits. Explain that for a second. So if we're using a certain circuitry on the left side, we would make sure that we don't use it at the same time on the right side. So you can either look past or future, or you can look in the present. It's the same functionality, but exactly. it has to be either side. And so they're similar, but they're different. So let's say for language, the left hemisphere will create a sound, like I said, dog, and then it's going to place a meaning on the words dog. So I can come into a room and I can start talking to you and I can be using my authoritative character, character one, one yeah. or I can be like, uh, not very happy emotionally. Now, characters three and four in the right hemisphere, they don't care what you have to say because they don't understand language. They don't have those cells that have that meaning. But what they care about is what's going on with your face and what's going on with your body and what's going on with the intonation of your vocalization. So they're paying attention to all those little subtle cues of the big picture. They're looking to the context of what you're saying. And they're making a determination whether or not you're telling the truth or not, because based on what you're saying, the details, do the details match the way that you're saying it? So let's say you and I are just meeting one another and we're having a, a conversation. And then all of a sudden you start yelling at me, Jill, I don't know what we're doing here. And, da, 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 da. and I would be so stunned that I would be in my right brain simply observing you throw a fit. And my character one is probably missing it because now it's being inhibited because I am so caught up in the present moment. Alarm, alarm, alert, alert of the present moment. Are you safe? Are you okay? What's going on? That I might not actually hear the details of what you're saying. So interesting. And the most common thing right now is we lie to each other's faces right through our teeth on the left hemisphere, and the right hemisphere isn't paying any attention at all to seeing if you're actually telling the truth. So the left brain in that case, and one of the interesting things about truth and lies is that the left hemisphere is going to make a decision. I'm going to tell a lie. So character one comes on and says, I'm going to tell a lie to Mo. And then it goes to my right hemisphere and it says, right hemisphere, we're going to tell a lie to Mo. Don't show it on our face. <laughs> okay. And Carrie, then, then the right brain decides whether or not it's going to deceive you, whether it's going to go along with that. And if it goes along with that, then we learn how to be really good liars. 
we learn to deceive really well. And if the right hemisphere says, no, that doesn't work for my truth, I'm going to stand at my truth on this one, then you're going to know that that was like, I just tried to lie to your face. Because hmm. that's what's in the present moment. Can I go back to uh, for a second? So if I throw that fit and suddenly my, my character two is now engaged, alarm, alarm, something is wrong. So my character one is not even paying attention anymore. Isn't this what normally happens in quarrels in relationships, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, two loving couple, you know, they're talking normally. They can actually discuss the matter. It's not that complicated. But once there is the attack and the blame and so on, you know, character two engages says, this is very wrong, I don't feel safe. So the entire system focuses on I don't feel safe and no other character is able to engage. Exactly. That's the biggest problem in the communication of humanity, I'm afraid. Is that little character too comes in and storms the brain. And, you know, one of the important things we need to understand is that when we're triggered, it's usually like, okay, well, all of a sudden, let's say you and I are a couple and I have a problem with your ex. And so you mentioned that your ex's name and I think, damn it, it you know, he keeps bringing her up. And then I move into my emotion, and that's a thought. And then I stimulate my fury of my character too. And then I, in my fury, my brain responds by dumping noradrenaline or adrenaline into my bloodstream. And it floods through me and flushes out of me. And during that 90 second period of time, after 90 seconds, my blood is clear again. But I can stay mad at you for a whole lot longer than 90 seconds if I go back years. and rethink the thought and I re-stimulate the emotion and I re-stimulate that physiological response. Oh, I love this. Yeah. So this is when you, the 90 second rule, right? I heard you speak about this. Yes. This is the 90 second rule or the 90 second reset. And this is power. But if I decide no mo, I'm no, I'm angry and I'm going to stay angry. And I don't care that we were going to go to a picnic later because I'm just, I'm just going to chew on this bone until I'm done chewing on this bone. And I'm probably going to chew on that bone for, you know, as long as, you know, until the phone rings and then the phone rings and it's like, hello. <laughs> Aren't we always able to do that? Surprisingly, we don't choose to. So character one leaps in and says, look, we're going to be appropriate. You can stay angry, but I'm going to be appropriate with this person over here because that's appropriate for me. So hello. And then I get off the phone after chatting to that person. The circuitry of that 90 seconds loop that I've been running in my hostility and fear is gone. Now is the moment of my choice. What do I do? Do I let my character one come in and stay in? Or do I go right back to chewing the bone? Because I, 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 I am not finished with you. And then you have choices. You know, what are you going to do? Are you going to step into your two? And if you step into your two and I'm in my two and we're at that angry and we're just fighting with one another, there will never be a resolution between two character twos. Never because they're both just in alarm, alarm, alert, alert. So that's why one person, that's why it's good to go away for 20 minutes, you know, let things dissipate, let things settle down. One of us has to be willing to step into a character one, three, or four in order to get out of the two, two uh, tip for tap fight. Wow. Yeah. Let's describe three and four so that people have yes. the whole brain map if you want. Character three is going to be the emotion of the present moment. And the present moment has no definition of me, the individual. And right here, right now is a perfect moment. I mean, if I don't have the judgment of right and wrong and good and bad, then I'm not saying, oh, 
it's not sunny enough, so I'm not happy. Or, you know, there's too much humidity in the air. Or I wish those people over there would be quiet or whatever. It doesn't care. It's not making any comparison. It's just in the present moment and the present moment is a perfect experience. So, and it doesn't have the boundaries so much of me, the individual. So I am like a neuron. I am in relationship with all these other people. And so I like people because I'm a social being connected to other humans or other creatures. And I I like to be in the present moment and I'm active. Character three is the emotion of the present moment. But that emotion, instead of being all the pain from our past, it's going to be experiential of the present moment. So right now where I am, the humidity in the air is very high. I live on a lake. I'm sweating like, uh, you know, a little character three happy pig. (laughs) While my character two is over there going, damn, I hate it when I sweat after I've put lotion on my face and I just explode. And character three doesn't care. Character three is fascinated with the fact that I'm even capable of sweating. It's like, who cares? You know, Mo doesn't care. He's on the other side of the planet. He doesn't care if I'm over here sweating like a pig. He might be wondering what's going on with me. But, you know, other than that, it's no big deal. So I don't get caught up in my character one that would be saying, oh, my gosh, I'm a perfectionist. And here I am. I'm sweating while I'm interviewing with with Mo. And so Mo's going to think I'm unprofessional. And it's like, that's what that character one would feel like. But character three doesn't care at all. Character three is good. So character three cares about the experience of what does it feel like to have my clothing on my body? What does now what's the humidity feel like? Let's go do something fun. Let's let's go for a bike ride on the water or, or let's go row or let's go swim or or let's go explore and let's adventure and let's be creative and let's be innovative because there's no right and wrong and good and bad in the right brain. It's that's that character one over there saying you have to color inside of the lines and you have to use these colors because that's what's right. Leaves are green, you know, you can't paint them purple. So it's innovative and creative and artistic and connected to other people. And it's just generally in the present moment. It has empathy because it's in the present moment and it can respond to your pain. It's compassionate and open and it's fun. It's happy. This is where your Mo Happy is. We like that one. That's your character three. Yeah. And it's the adrenaline junkie. It's still emotion. It's still alarm, alarm, alert, alert, but it wants to be alarmed and it wants to be alert. And it's like, oh my God, there's a snake back there. Oh my God, there's a snake back there. Well, let's go <laughs> look at it. You know, let's chase it. You know, can we catch it? Where's it going? What's it look like? So that's the the adventure adrenaline junkie in us. So that's character three. Is that a little bit of the kid in us as well? The Absolutely. Both of the emotional brains are immature. They never mature. So they're both our childlike nature. The left is going to be looking for any reason to say no, push away from. And its happiness is based on circumstances in the external world. So am I happy is the question that little character two is going to ask. Little character three isn't about happy. Little character three is the experience of joy the internal condition of joy. I wake up, I'm a little happy character three. I'm I'm feeling my joy. I'm excited to be alive. Give me more excitement. Give me more exploration. No right, wrong, no innovation, which also means that this character can get us into a whole lot of trouble because it doesn't really care about authority and it doesn't really care about rules and it doesn't really care about laws and it really doesn't care about respecting systems. 
So it's going to get into trouble. So we have to have those other characters keep it out of trouble. We're going to call him H. And again, no reason why I'm mentioning, but I remember. These are your wonderful friends, you know, in your yes. 20s who are just constantly having fun and enjoying life, right? They're living in character three. Exactly. I call mine Pigpen. Pigpen is a character in Charles Schulz's cartoon. And there's Charlie Brown and there's Lucy and there's Peanuts, the dog. And there's Pigpen. And Pigpen is a little character that is walking around in a constant dust storm. Always in a dust storm. Chaos, present, happy, present, aware, goes everywhere, really doesn't contribute a whole lot to anything, but he's always present and he's always in a mess. So I call mine Pigpen. Right. So my Pigpen would like to play with your age. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Right? Yeah. Let's go do something fun together. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is nothing to prevent them, correct? Absolutely. Except the character one. If one doesn't engage, three is going to play all the time. Yes. Okay. Character four is the thinking character of the right brain. So the thinking character of the right brain, right here, right now, no boundaries of where I begin and end. So this is the character that is the thinking consciousness of the universe. There is no oh separation between me and that which is beyond. This is the consciousness in every cell of my body when I was multiplied at a rate of 250,000 new cells per second in the womb. That is the consciousness in every cell of my body. And it is the portal through which I get to communicate with something beyond the definition of myself. It is loving. It is pure loving. It is supportive. It is open. And it is so filled with gratitude that it exists at all. It has no fear because there's nothing to fear. It is love. It is the opposite of the fear of that left hemisphere. There is no alarm, alarm, alert, alert. It is pure grace and pure gratitude and just absolutely in awe that we exist at all and that we can communicate at all and that we have technology at all and that we have digits and hands and voices and eyes and ears and oh my gosh, I'm alive. <laughs> that is your blissful euphoria. I have to ask a question. You said, this is the thinking of the present. And then you said, this is love. Is love thinking at all? It's an energetic consciousness. Is there a consciousness of love? I think love has a consciousness. Totally, but it's not a thought, is it? Well, no, but that's the only way that I can actually describe that added on tissue. And I think that it is thought. I think that it is, you know, now we're having a different conversation. Is the universe conscious? Totally. Does the universe think? Are there thoughts that we then are like an antenna that we receive? But for me, that is thinking tissue. And I use that to describe it is not emotional tissue. I don't think love is an emotion. I don't think so either. Unless it is perhaps expressed between two people. But that may be a conditional love. Exactly. That's how I differentiate it in my work. I say there is conditional love and unconditional love. Unconditional love is the condition of the universe, if you want. And so exactly, if your thinking tissue in your right hemisphere is connecting you to the rest of the universe, it's not generating the love. It's actually sensing the love. It's basically... Well, it is the love. It is the love. I think that the love is, I think it is the consciousness of love, the eternal love that you're talking about. I think that that is the energy that drives the universe toward life. I think life is 
a cell. How on earth does a cell even come to be? Just even a single cell, much less us. So to me, if we look at just a single-celled organism, the single-celled organism is a semi-permeable membrane separating some things out there from some things in here. And the energy gets contained in here through proteins and molecules, which are nothing but atoms and molecules and energy to create an order. Because the universe couldn't say I can become one big cell. It has to have a limiting boundary so that it can become functional. And so the single cell can only get so big, but it has to multiply itself and be in relationship with another cell. But cells then have our stipple, the membrane that is allowing some things in that it needs and letting other things out like waste. It detects what is out there through these receptors. So the cell is receiving stimulation and it is interacting and stimulating the external of itself based on what it releases into that space. So to me, the meaning of life, if we're going to go there and why not, the meaning of life is to stimulate and be stimulated by whether I'm a single celled organism or whether I'm an organism made up of 50 trillion cells. And if you stimulate positively, then you're building more connection, connection, you're building, you're aiding life to progress. And if you stimulate negatively, you're engaging character too, where every living being on the planet will go into alert and it becomes a war. Yeah, it becomes a war. I heard you once say, I don't know if you realize how often you drop those words and I write them down. So you said our first job as human beings in the world is to love one another. Is to love one another, period, period. That's a very big statement, Jill, because that's the opposite of what we're doing. Period. That's it. We're here to love one another. And then you put a left hemisphere and a left hemisphere is fabulous skill set, but it should not be in charge of how we treat one another. Oh, that's a massive statement. It should not be in charge, period. It should not be the boss. It should be of service to the consciousness of our right brain, which is the collective whole. Through my character four, I'm not an individual. I'm you. You're me. I'm every piece of life on the planet. I'm every molecule that exists in the universe. There's no definition of me. There's no definition of self. I'm just this collective organic mass that because of that tiny group of cells in my left hemisphere defines me as me. But I'm not me. You have a stroke, you wipe out those cells, you're off in blissful euphoria because blissful euphoria is the consciousness of that which is around, within, supporting, nurturing, loving, everything. So that realization that I am not an individual, I'm part of a whole being that includes you and me and every ant and every elephant, every tree, that if you want, is the default of life, right? This is the the truth of consciousness. If you're able to sense it in character four, then that's unconditional love. That's basically, it's the setting of the machine. You switch on your phone and your phone will switch the home screen in English. That's the setting. And the setting is love for everything. Until character one or character two engages, either character one will start to analyze and say, hold on, hold on. She needs to kiss me three times. Right, wrong, good, bad, boundary. 
You're right. Yeah, she needs to kiss me three times more more a day for me to continue to love her or, you know, this is not exactly the right way to do it. It's not good for my career. Maybe I should focus on my work and so on. Or character two panics because things are not going exactly as I want. If we switch those people off, one and two, we remain in that bliss. You get my TED Talk. <laughs> but that's the point, Jill. So post your TED Talk, I didn't listen to it when it came out. I listened to it specifically six and a half years ago. And six and a half years ago, I really have reasonable control of that little brain of mine. I spent years and years and years focusing on making it do exactly what I tell it to do. So I, I can manage to switch off the left side. I can. When I do that for years, I mean, now it's actually very natural to me, but for many years, when I switched off the left side, character one and two, three and four didn't kick in. They really nothingness, if you want, right? There is that constant feeling of I am part of the whole. There is that constant feeling of now is amazing. But there is, I don't know how to call it. What I was struggling with until 2018, when I started to figure it out, was the idea of flowing with that oneness. I actually, I think I know how I found out, but I don't because my right brain if you want, which could actually jump in, doesn't have words to explain it to me. And that's a big problem because I can't explain it to others. But there is a whole life in there on that side of euphoric nirvana where you're connected to everything, where you're completely aware of consciousness and where all that remains is love. Really, all that you feel is love, including your enemies. You're like, yeah, you know, wonderful beings. If I were in their place, I would do the same. How do we do that? I mean, how do we tell people, stop? Because what you said is, left shouldn't be the boss. This constant panic, this constant analysis, this constant control is destroying all of us. Left should be the doer, right? Should say, go hug Jill. And left will say, okay, I need two steps to the right to avoid the desk and then, you know, get there. And this is how I hug Jill. And then right takes over again to make Jill feel that, you know, she's the most wonderful person on the planet. Now, how do we get those four to work together? I call this a brain huddle. And I call it brain because it's my brain, but it's also an acronym, B-R-A-I-N. B, breath. When we breathe, and I always take my left hand and I start on my forehead to bring my mind to the present moment. If I'm in a struggle, if my little character two is triggered, I can do it with Helen. She doesn't care. She's good at it. But I use my left hand to get into my right brain. So I actually touch my forehead and I'm breathing breath, breath, breath. Breath is the first thing we do when we're born and the last thing we do when we die. It's constant. It's always available for us to bring our mind to the present moment. So I bring my mind to my breath. I breathe a few times. If character two has called the huddle because I'm unhappy, then it's like it takes a little longer and I'll think about, I'll just feel it. I'll just feel my breath. B, R, recognize which character called the huddle, which character mm. was being dominant at the time that I called the huddle. Now, if I'm Abby, then I might not want to call a huddle, but my character one is saying, this is not appropriate. I got to be on stage in three minutes. I need to calm my butt down and we need to have a huddle. So recognize which character am I in at the time I call the huddle and recognize which character called the huddle. Now, I encourage people to call this huddle 20 or 30 times a day when you don't need it. 
because these are neurons and these are connections between different parts of our brain. And the thing about circuitry cells is the more often you run a circuit, the stronger that circuit begins to run on automatic. So you're creating habitual thinking. So a huddle becomes a habit. And I encourage people to do it all day long when you don't need it. So you might be out doing something like a little character three for a moment and have a huddle and think to yourself, oh, I'm in my character three. I'm being H. So anyway, so B, breath, bring your mind to the present moment. All right. R, recognize who was I being in that moment and who called the huddle. R, A, appreciate the fact that I have four of me in here. (laughs) Now, this is particularly important if I'm in that character two, because when we move into the alarm, alarm, alert, alert of our character two, it's like all the energy in our brain gets sucked into that one little group of cells that starts routinizing and and it just, and it starts regurgitating inside of itself. It likes to be unhappy. It does it well. Fight, flight, yang, 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 yang. Appreciate when you're in that character that I have these other three characters out here waiting for me to breathe and recognize <laughs> that I have other characters and appreciate the other characters. Now, just appreciating the fact that I have a character one, if I'm being Abby, I can actually think, Helen, I could use you now. Abby, okay, I can call on them by name. I can actually pull my energy out of that circuitry and dissipate it by observing instead of just engaging as Abby. So B, breath, bring your mind to the present moment. R, recognize which character was I being in the moment. Who called the huddle? Might be the same character, might not. R, A, appreciate the fact that I have four characters. A, I is inquire. In this moment, who do I want to be now? Who do I want to purposefully hand the microphone to? Do I want to let Helen step on stage and go do her thing? Do I want to step into, go jump into the lake and bring myself completely into my character three pig pen? Or do I want want to go for a walk in nature and go dissolve myself which I do. I have certain tools that I use to get there. And because that's where I always am. So I'm always distracted away from that experience of being one with the universe. So I inquire, okay, which one are we going to do now? And then N, navigate, because I might decide that, okay, I'll give you an example. Let's say I walk into a room and you're in the room fighting with somebody. Okay. You're very unhappy, emotionally fighting. You're in your two, let's say it's a woman, she's in her two, and you guys are just having a two for two tip for tat. And I walk into the room and I, my characters three and four, they're big as the universe, they feel the energy and they can look at the facial expression and, and the, the way the bodies are being held now. And, and I know I just walked into an argument, right? I'm intuitive like that. I have a big picture contextual perspective. That's intuition. So I intuitively ask myself, present moment, okay, huddle. It's like instant huddle. Uh, what do we do? Right. And it's like, okay. And so I'm in, I've got all four online. And I think, okay, character one can come out and say, hi, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can do for you? Is there, is everything okay? Is anything I can fix essentially is the message of character one? Because that's what it does. It does. It does. Can I make a call for you? Uh, uh, Do you need more blankets? Are you cold? You know, whatever character one or character three 
might pop in and crack a joke and try to use humor to, oh, looks like a bad time or, you know, just kind of lighten everything up. That's what the character three would do. Or character four might come in and just exude love and say, it's good. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, I just want you to know I'm here if you need anything. And um, I, I got you. I care about both of you and I got you and then leave them to their privacy. So in that moment, that's a huddle. How do I respond in this moment as a conscious human being, knowing what my choices are? And, you know, so often we make bad choices. Why do we make bad choices? We make bad choices because we didn't know we had four opinions in there and that we could actually hold a brain huddle and make a calculated and conscious decision about what do I really want in this moment? Is the one orchestrating this huddle always character one? She's the one? I think it's character four. Is it? I think it's character four. Character four is always there. Whether we acknowledge that part of ourselves or not, it's always there. And it's the really the best part of who we are. And it's the love. So if I love myself and I allow myself to have these conversations, Mo, I believe that when we die, character one goes offline. You know, our worlds get smaller and smaller and smaller as we age and we we become uh, less conscious of what's going on outside the walls of where we are. So character one goes offline. Character two, eventually, hopefully we're not being just trigger, trigger, trigger. Character three is the do-do, busy, busy, adrenaline, adrenaline, the pull to go, go, go. And, you know, in those moments, I'm going to actually dissipate back into the beginning of where I began, back into the consciousness, unfold the rest of my cellular matrix. I will return to that character four. And I think that by knowing these other characters, knowing these different parts so of who Jane, we are, so beautiful. we have this power so beautiful. to choose. I know. This is oh, so, so profound. This you're gonna make me cry again. So let me say this to you because before we got on and you told me how important that TED talk to you was. When I gave that TED talk, I gave it because I wanted us to revere one another. I wanted us to love one another. I wanted us to recognize the power that we had to do that. And that was a miss. It didn't happen, even though that TED Talk exploded into the world and people revered me, that wasn't the goal. My goal was for us to revere one another. So this book is the work that I came back to give to the world. This is it. This is where why I recovered. This is why I did the work that I did for eight years to find my way back to be able to communicate with my beautiful fellow man so I can say the words that I say now as a tool and a roadmap to help people find that blissful beauty of who they are. This is the core of who we all are. This is all And we then are. we get tangled up. We get so tangled totally. up in the circuitry. Totally. This is all we are. This is why I cry every time because... When you said I found nirvana, the definition in my mind was, it's just pure love and pure presence. This is it, really. This is it. And it's so accessible to every single one of us. You now call it character four, right? And character four is just there all the time. 
It's just that the others are so noisy. They're so loud. The others, so loud, you know, either commanding or panicking or just playing like, you know, mad. And character four is saying, like, guys, it's just so chill. It's like, everything's fine. COVID, Everything's not COVID. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Whatever is. I wanted to ask you, actually, when I was writing my notes, because you often talk about this whole brain talking to me, and I was just thinking, so who's me? I don't know. So is this character for the real connection between the real me and my physical form? You know, what is me? I think me is this organic lump. Whatever the organic lump ends up looking like. I mean, if I'm an organic lump that looks like a worm, then... I won't have the consciousness that I have as a human, but that's it. You know, it's the the consciousness of the universe in life form. And it is that beautiful tissue of that character four that allows us that clear awareness that get rid of the boundaries of where I begin and end. I mean, just that concept, the mere concept that I can wipe out a group of cells in my left hemisphere and I don't know where I begin and where I end. What's that tell us? That means that that is a false perception of definition of self and me and ego and I and everything's about me. And it's like, oh, no, honey, it's just so not so. Is this what happens when when people go on psychedelics? You know, they switch off those parts of the brain that are causing them so much agony, if you want. And then they're just left with those beautiful parts that live in the present moment, enjoy everything with an exaggerated sense of taste and beauty and perception. Is this what happens? Yeah, I think so. And um, some of them, psilocybin, for sure, is one that a lot of people come to me and have shared with me their their experience. I think that the, the microdosing of ecstasy is a tool that is now being used for post-traumatic stress disorder because you get so caught up in that fear and that pain and that memory and that loop of trauma and then these these drugs so first of all a drug a medication a food anything at all you know it has an impact on the biological system that already exists or it's not going to have an impact on you so even milk when we drink milk why does it calm us down it calms us down because it has calcium in it and calcium releases the ratcheting action of our muscles. So our bodies relax because our muscles relax. And then it has tryptophan and tryptophan turns into serotonin and serotonin gives us a, a settled sense of peacefulness. So we calm. We, that's why people drink milk and it has the impact. You don't want to drink milk before an exam. <laughs> ah, well, maybe you do. I don't know. It depends on how much, how well you know your materials as, as you don't go to sleep. So, but everything. So whether it's a, a medication, if it goes in, it's jumping on a biological system that's already there. If you're taking a drug, a natural drug, it's influencing a system that's already there. And so a lot of people are using psychedelics just to know that there's something beyond just the me and my pain. It's a, a tool to get out of that character too. But then the problem is if I become, if I, once I know, it's kind of like I'm calling a brain huddle and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a character four in there and there's a character one in there and there's a character three in there. And it's like, oh my gosh. And so for some people maybe using a substance in order to become aware, but my whole goal is I don't want people to become dependent on something else in order to become a whole brain. To me, drug use is not whole brain living.
running. It's consciously choosing to run specific circuits. And I don't want someone's whole life to be wrapped around just, you know, an addiction. And addiction actually is inside of that character too. And if you open up that left brain and you open up the frontal parietal region from the temporal region, there's some tissue in there. See a little tissue in there. And that tissue I can actually pull out because this brain comes apart. And that tissue right there is called the insular cortex. And the insular cortex in the left brain is our craving tissue. So if we have a problem like a stroke or something right there, whatever that person was addicted to, usually gets wiped out because they don't crave it anymore. And the addiction is part of character too, because it, it just needs to be numb. Well, no, it, because it's actually part of that tissue. Now, what that means, Mo, is if somebody's going to go into therapy or rehabilitation, character one can go to rehab and it can jump through all the loops and it can stop using and it can say the right things and do the right things and, and come out <laughs> looking clean. Mm, and mm. character three and four can do the exact same things. They can jump through the hoops. But if character two isn't the part of our character that goes into rehabilitation, then there will probably be a relapse. It's profound. This magnificent brain, and it becomes somewhat predictable based on being able to differentiate the different skills and the different character profiles and how they can come together and communicate as a brain huddle. And then you're living a conscious life. And to me, that's personal freedom. That is really living, if you ask me. This is the whole idea of really deploying the right resource, the right hero, if you want, at the right time. Exactly. If you have the, the Hulk, you know, taking over all the time, the Hulk destroys as many things as he saves a few things, right? And, and sometimes we just live in that part of ourselves, you know, either panicking or either over analytical and so on and so forth. I have a bit of a sensitive question. I don't know if it's the right understanding or not, but when you speak about three and four, there is a lot of feminine in them. When you speak about one and two, there is a lot of masculine in them. Well, I think that when you look at the traditional way of thinking about the two halves of the brain, it has people describe the right brain as the feminine nature because it is open. It is, it is connected. It is loving. It is nurturing. It is supportive. It's not competitive. It's embracing. It's all those wonderful things that, that we have defined by that left brain as feminine traits, compassionate and open. And you compare that to the traits that we describe as masculine, which is assertive, aggressive, competitive, competent, climbing the hierarchy, values money, values materialism, because it's the provider for the family, et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think that that's, you know, that's kind of, of a societally defined but I think it makes sense. I mean, if it's all about me, then I'm going to look at me against the world, pretty much. I'm an individual. And if I'm not a me against the world and I'm a we, well, that means that you're my brothers and sisters. Why on earth would I not support you? You know, we're one big thing. So loving you is loving myself. Hurting you is hurting myself. So beautiful. Just based on the way the cells organize themselves. And of course, I would probably say... and. It's understood that neuroplasticity will probably work on all four of them. So the ones that we use become us more and more and more and more. Yeah, well, they become stronger. They become stronger. So if I start to get three to be myself for the next three weeks, I can become a much more playful, much more in the moment person. 
just because I'm constantly using that part of myself. If I allow myself to feel the love and the connection and the compassion, then I become character four. And the more I use it, interestingly, the more loving I become, the more forgiving I become, the more inclusive I become. I think, you know, when you really think about it, everything that's happening in our world now, we need a lot of force. We need a lot of force. We do. What did you call for? You didn't tell us. I call mine queen because she's big as the universe. <laughs> Toad, because mm-hmm. I'm a little goofy and I live on a boat half the year and it's my lily pad. So I call mine queen Toad. <laughs> Fantastic. What about you? What you going to name that one? Uh, I'll call her Aya. Aya? Aya is my daughter. Oh, I love that. And absolutely, absolutely she's for. She's love and life itself. And of course, as you can imagine, Aya is spending her 20s very reflective on life, you know, asking character one to come in and engage, even though I know in my heart from the daughter I have lived now 26 years with, that if she just becomes her four, you know, that's all she really is. Pure love, pure compassion, pure passion about the entire world and incredibly creative, incredibly engage to make things better if you want. And I love that about her. I think that's, that one is unforgettable for me. And it's probably the one that I have for the last six and a half years been trying to live in. It's not deficient. It's just always been bossed around by my character one. I actually don't have character two at all. I, don't, I really don't Been panic. ignored. Yeah, I don't panic at all. So two to me is most of the time chill. I think one is the boss. And one bosses three and four around too much. And if we can get one to, to stay quiet a little bit and accept that life knows that the present moment is fabulous as it is, I think that's where we become. I love that. It does. That's exactly right. Life knows that the present moment is fabulous. It really is. It's beautiful. Just let it be what it is and be in awe that I exist at all. And then I'm gone. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wasn't that a ride? Yeah, exactly. What was that ride? Totally. Yeah. Totally. You know what? The present moment is so fabulous because you're in front of me. You are Thank you, Mom. my hero. You're my teacher. I totally, totally admire everything that you do. I totally admire why you do it. I think that really, really is what makes you so special to me is why you do it, why you came back, why you're telling everyone. And I wish, really, I wish that people can understand what you're teaching and really champion a world where it's not about me, 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 it's about we. And uh, I cannot thank you enough. Today is a very big day in my life. I wish you will give me the chance to meet again and again. Mo, where, where do you live in the world? I'm now in Dubai. I'm hopefully moving to Europe uh, in the end of the month. I travel where I need to be, but not as crazy as I used to be. So I used to travel three times a week. Now I travel once every couple of months, maybe every three months, where I need to be. So I don't have that clinging to a one single place that is important for me to feel home at. I mean, I feel home everywhere almost. Uh, but sometimes life takes you and I try to flow with life. And I find that it's always amazing when I do. Once again, Jill, I'm so grateful. This has been 
definitely one of my favorite conversations. I adore everything that you do. Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Thank you. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's been, it's lovely for me to have the opportunity to connect with another who really gets it. And for you to say, my two is rarely engaged. Boy, does that say so much about who you are as a human being in the world. So thank you for taking your love and spreading your love, the love of all of us into the world. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you.